Hello and welcome to episode 87 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. To start us off, a warm welcome to Lisa D. and Carla M. to the Modern Manager community. You are now in great company and have access to hundreds of dollars of episode guides and guest bonuses, including being eligible to win three diagnostics and a free coaching session with prior guest Steve Sisler of episode 85. If you're listening and wondering what I'm talking about, or you've heard me say this over and over but haven't yet checked it out, please do yourself a favor and at least just go to mamieks.com join to learn about the membership offerings and consider making this investment in yourself by becoming a member today. Now, today's guests, and there are two of them, are Andy Kramer and Al Harris. They are married practicing lawyers and have been mentoring women and speaking and writing about gender communications for more than 30 years. Andy and Al offer women unique, balanced, and highly practical advice they can use to prevent gender biases from slowing or derailing their careers. Andy and Al also present arresting information and compelling examples for male audiences to make them aware of and sensitive to the gender biases that hold women back, even in the most well-intentioned organizations. This power couple provides organizations with concrete, non-disruptive suggestions for workplace changes that will make women's careers opportunities more comparable to men's. As you can imagine, Andy, Al, and I talk about myths about gender in the workplace and how that informs leadership roles, interactions, and expectations, where gender stereotypes come from, the specific challenges that women face, the Goldilocks dilemma, and what to do about all of this regardless of your gender. Now, here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Andy and Al, it is such a pleasure to have you both today. I want to start by saying that this is the first time I'm interviewing two people at once, so this should be a fun new experience for me, and I'm excited to get to learn from both of you today. Well, we're certainly looking forward to talking with you. And uh, glad to be your beta test. Well, we all have to have these kind of first experiences, right? All right. So I want to jump right into all this work and start by talking about some myths about gender in the workplace, because in your book, you talk about some of these myths that we may allow to fester or maybe we perpetuate when they're not really true and they're probably holding us back. So can you start us there? Uh, Absolutely. One of the myths that we have is the stereotypes and then the biases that flow from them about women, men, leaders, work, and family. And so because we grow up with these perceptions, stereotypes, myths about ourselves and others, we bring those to the workplace and that can both hold us back and how we reach out for our careers and also influences the way managers and other people can perceive us as we're working our way up our careers. So let me just give you a simple example. One of the myths or stereotypes is that women are communal, that is kind and nice and caring, modest. They are feminine and men are agentic, that is they're decisive and strong and independent and able to focus and get jobs done. 
Well, there's no more truth to those stereotypes than there are to the very notion that we are all fundamentally different. We aren't. There is more difference among women. There's more difference among men than there are between women generally and men generally. Where do these stereotypes come from? Is this just stuff that we are ingrained with from birth and like it's just the water we swim in? Or are there things that we're doing that perpetuate these ideas? Well, it's sort of a combination of both because when a baby's born, the very first question most people ask is, is it a boy or a girl? They don't ask, how's the mom? And boys are immediately treated differently from the way that girls are treated. And so by the time we're three or four years old, we have a developed stereotypes and views about what's a boy, what's a girl, your skin color is different from mine, and you're old and I'm young. And those are the big three sorts of hard-to-break habits that we have developed through society and our environment. I think one of the best ways to think about it is from the beginning of one of David Foster Wallace's books. He tells a story of two young fish swimming by an older fish, and the older fish says to the two younger fish, how's the water? And they don't respond to him, and they keep going on swimming. And after a little while, one turns to the other and says, what's water? Well, what's water is like, what are these stereotypes? They are so part of our thinking that we don't even recognize we have them. So I want to pick up on the comment around women being communal because I think you're right that there's something that like when you said that, I was like, yeah, but we are communal. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Am I just saying that because I've, I've been swimming in this water that women are supposed to be communal? And that playing off this idea that women fight with each other in the workplace, that there's this kind of insidiousness around women stopping other women from being successful. Have you seen that? And is that a myth or is that actually happening? Well, that's the premise and what we focus on in our second book, which uh, came out in August of this year, Breaking Through Bias was our first book, and It's Not You, It's the Workplace is our second book, and that's really about women at work. And women are, because we're expected to be assumed to be and punished if we're not communal, then if we behave in ways that are you get this job done and, and I need this at five o'clock, everybody's hair catches fire. And in gendered workplaces where the expectations are that women will behave in a particular way and only bring certain qualities to the table, it forces women into conflict with each other in ways that they wouldn't be conflicted if the world were fair. For example, we do think that there is truth to the fact that women very often don't get along with other women in the workplace, but we don't think that they don't get along because of something that's inherent or biologically determined in their nature. The circumstances under which they are working with each other are what forces those conflicts with one another. So that, for example, women expect other women to be kind and nice and caring, to be their friends, 
and when women managers, for example, are business-like, direct, are simply get the job done, the women that work for them are left with expectations that are disappointed. They think that those other women are being cold or selfish or uncaring, and therefore they get into conflicts with them. Well, it's not that women are nasty to one another. It's that the workplaces demand behaviors from women that are contrary to the stereotypical expectations that women often have of how other women ought to treat them. So it sounds like it's almost a double standard that we are doing this to ourselves and that women expect other women to be nice and kind. And so that we punish them when they're not. And yet at the same time, we're saying women shouldn't have to be nice and kind, but we don't actually allow that to happen. We don't celebrate that. We, we punish for it. Absolutely. And we refer to that as the Goldilocks dilemma, which is that women are perceived as if we're nice and kind and sweet, then people like us, but they don't give us important work to do. And if we're strong and assertive, then we're competent, but nobody wants us on their team. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, like that just, like, what do we do about that? Well, there are a number of things that we can do about it. The first is that we can acquire knowledge. We can be attuned to these stereotypes and expectations and recognize that they are like optical illusions. They are things that are in our mind, but may not represent reality. But beyond that, the women who are in these situations can use the impressions that they make on other people to alleviate these kinds of tensions. For example, while women managers may not be able to behave just like male managers and be accepted, they can be direct and forceful if they are also willing to be open and welcoming and appear to be concerned about the other people. So women do have a harder road to walk than men, but they can walk that road. And I think a, an important point here is that what Al just said is in gender-biased workplaces, which is what most organizations are, unfortunately, in today's workplaces, Women don't have to wait for men and organizations to become enlightened and to be fair and gender equal. So what he's referring to is really that women can take control of their own careers by understanding these stereotypes, understanding these biases, and managing the people that we're interacting with to get the objectives that we want, something for our clients, something for our customers, something for our own careers. What about men in this scenario? So if you're a, a male manager leading a team that has women on it, are there things that you can do differently? There yeah. certainly are. Men need to recognize that women have it tougher in organizations than men do. It's just simply a fact that success in virtually all professions, businesses, politics, 
academia is harder for women than men because of these biases. So the first thing that men need to do is to recognize that fact. And part of the major problem is that most men don't. When surveys are taken as to recognizing the gender bias in our workplaces, only about 30% of men think that women have a harder time than men do. The studies show that women, about 80 to 90%, believe that it's harder for women than it is for men. So if men will recognize these problems, they immediately become more sensitive. The second thing that men can do, though, is once they recognize this, they need to take active steps to make certain that women are on the teams in equal numbers than the men, that women are given assignments that are just as challenging as the men, that men do not fall into the trap of believing that they need to be chivalrous or gentle or kinder with women than they do with men. Because when those kind of benevolent activities are going on, the women are not getting the experience, the exposure, the opportunities that men are. So men need to be aware of the fact that they need to eliminate their discriminatory subconsciously discriminatory behavior by choosing men rather than women, by giving men opportunities that women don't. That's fascinating. And I would imagine there's probably moments in which they're also giving better feedback to men than to women for fear of you know, upsetting a woman or having an emotional outbreak or something like that. And so they may be tougher on the men than they are on the women in ways that are actually constructive and therefore putting women at a disadvantage. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned this term, Andy, you said gendered workplace and you said most of our workplaces are gendered, but maybe not all. So can you unpack that a bit? Sure. Because men tend to be the ones who senior leadership in most of our organizations, obviously not all of them, but in so many of them, that the values, the norms, the expectations revolve around a masculine view of the workplace. So, for example, many organizations believe that the way that you demonstrate your commitment and competence is by who can stay the longest at work or who can build the most hours or who can you know, do the most client meetings in the evening. And that puts an enormous pressure on women because very often women have more family obligations, more obligations with children. And so in those workplaces where the scorecarding is based on, you know, a linear work till you drop kind of a concept does make it much harder for women to succeed. Part of this that Andy's talking about is that not only are workplaces gendered, but domestic relations are gendered. That means that there's an unfair distribution of domestic responsibilities in marriages, just as there's an unfair distribution of work and opportunities in the workplace. And the two 
work against each other. So that if women are in relationships in which they are expected to do more of the housekeeping, more of the laundry, more of the cooking, more of the childcare than men, that means that when they're at work, they are subjected to pressures on their outside lives that the men that they're working with, that they're competing with, are not. So that there is a interplay between these two spheres that makes women's roles much tougher than men. Are these just big societal problems that we have to like slowly work through? Or are there things that an individual manager or an organization can do either in terms of policies or norms to start to address some of these kind of bigger societal influences? Well, there are definitely societal influences, but our objective is to make sure that women's careers are successful and rewarding for them today. And we're not suggesting that women need to wait for society to change. And so, for example, a manager can do a number of things. First of all, flexibility in scheduling is something that is valuable and could be made available to both women and men. There's an understanding about the fact that just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that you should assume that I have family responsibilities that will interfere with giving me the best project or the opportunity to bet the company transaction or whatever. And so one of the things is that male managers, female managers need to treat their subordinates, whether they're male or female, the same to give them the same opportunities. And that really is a key part of what can allow women's careers to flourish. Very often women will report that they don't get the same opportunities. And women, when they come back from maternity leave or when they've had children, they often report that they're treated as if they had a lobotomy instead of a baby. The work that they get becomes less interesting and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The idea is that there is probably three steps that companies can take to make certain that the domestic pressures that women are under don't sink their careers. One is flexibility, not flexibility for women, but flexibility for everyone. That doesn't mean not working as hard, but it does mean scheduling that is not as rigid. The second is a recognition that work and domestic life are not separate spheres, that they intertwine, that they intersect, and so that there is a recognition and acceptance of the fact that when there are demands on people to deal with concerns that are outside of work, they are given a recognition. And third, that there are ways that we can recognize that all opportunities need to be made available to everyone, that there are not special jobs for men, special jobs for women, that there is no preconceived notion of what's appropriate for a man or what's appropriate for a woman, that we are all able and willing and capable of doing the same things. 
So I'm thinking about as a manager, what I have control over and what I don't, meaning what my organization might have policies around and things like flexibility. I know I've heard some of my clients, people say like, oh, my company doesn't have a flexible work policy. And yet I'm wondering if there are things that managers can do within that. So for example, one team that I am working with create a norm for their team that when you leave the office, you're off. So it's not exactly a flexible work policy, but it's the idea that when you go home at you know six o'clock or whatever, that you're not expected to then do more work at home, that that home life is protected. Are there other things like that that you suggest any kinds of norms or practices that I guess a manager has more control over or that they can bring to their team and say, hey, we want to talk about ways to make our, our own team more effective and to create more opportunities for everybody. Are there any other things like that? Well, some organizations, managers can basically cut their own deals, if you will, with their staff. So for example, in my own situation, I had a woman who was working with me who needed to be working at home a day. We, and if you don't have a formal policy, you can still arrange for that, provided you're satisfied that the work is actually getting done. When that's not an issue, you could be more flexible. Very often, parents would benefit from knowing that they could leave at 2 o'clock to go to a sporting event or to a school play, and they might be perfectly happy to clock back in at home at 7 o'clock because they've had that opportunity to be with their family or take a aged family member to the doctor or some, something along those lines. And so managers have some flexibility, but very often having conversations with senior management about making broader changes are very often the the best way to go. Part of this is that the focus on managers' part needs to shift from workplace rules to workplace outcomes. That is, if we can get workplace outcomes being what we're concerned with, then there are lots of things we can do to allow the people that we manage to run their own lives in ways that work for them, so long as we are certain that the work that we need to do, that the quality we need to have, that the production we need to be certain goes out the door, gets done. So manager's focus is the concern. I think this is a great place to end. As we shift to our kind of wrap up here, can you share one of the amazing rockstar managers that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with and for and what made this person so fantastic? Well, I'll give you an example of managing meetings because managers need to do a better job of making certain that all of the members of the team feel welcomed and that their views are respected. Very often what women find is that we'll say something brilliant and nobody hears us. And then five minutes later, Fred will say the same thing and they break out a golden chariot to carry Fred around the room that didn't have such a great idea. And, you know, Jessica, who's the one who came up with it five minutes ago, is sitting there with smoke coming out her ears. And so a manager that I saw in action that was amazing was somebody who 
was able to manage a meeting where he would pay very close attention to all of the conversations and would keep track of it so that if Jessica said something important and nobody had any comments on it, when Fred said the same thing five minutes later, this manager would say, Fred, that was a nice summary of what Jessica said five minutes ago. Jessica, what would you like to add? And so what happens in a situation like that is that it encourages everybody to keep thinking and participating instead of just shutting down. I suppose the best manager I ever had was, I'm a lawyer, Andy's a lawyer, and as a young lawyer, I was just learning how to write. And those were the days when people dictated to what were then called secretaries who took shorthand. Well, this manager could have done all of his work by himself, but instead, he always had me in the room. He always was showing me how to do this so that he would dictate in front of me. He would go over his writing in front of me, and he was not telling me what to do, but he was showing me how to do it. And that stayed with me and made an enormous impact on the way that I work. Two fantastic stories. Where can everyone learn more about you and your book? Well, the best place to go is to our website, which is andyandale.com. And I spell my name Andy, A-N-D-I-E, which makes it a little confusing. So it's A-N-D-I-E and A-N-D-L-A-L.com. And we have information about both of our books. We have an assessment about how would you handle 10 potentially gender-biased workplaces. We have surveys. We have our blogs. And we would love for all of you to come and join the discussion. Thank you both so much. I actually think this was a wonderful conversation having both of you on at the same time. I feel like we just had so much rich conversation and you you both played off each other so nicely. So thank you again for sharing all your wisdom. And thank you for letting us join you today. We've enjoyed it. Andy and Al have provided three amazing tip sheets. The first is on gaslighting, which offers nine tips on how to respond when women are told they are imagining gender bias. The second is about preventing interruptions, and this tip sheet provides tips on how to avoid being interrupted and what to do when you are. And the third one is called saying no, and this guide walks you through the thought process of what to do when you are asked to do something that won't advance your career. This is another great example of the guest bonuses that are available to members of the Modern Manager community. So to become a member, go to mamieks.com slash join. Again, there are multiple membership levels, each with various benefits, so head on over to check them out. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which is at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. 
You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.